Since I grew up in a very religious household, you think that poverty is next to piety. People who don't want things are holy, and people who have a lot of things did bad things to get them. The balance there is um, something that I am reckoning with. Welcome to What's Underneath, the podcast that will inspire you to accept the skin you're in and step into your most whole, powerful self. I'm Lily Mandelbaum, and sitting next to me is my mom, Elisa Goodkind, and we are the creators of Style Like You. In our podcast, we bring you the extended interviews from our video series, The What's Underneath Project, in which diverse role models strip down to open up and claim the power of the skin they're in. The first step to self-acceptance is being radically honest about the things you're ashamed of. And by listening to these stories, you are tapping into the healing power of vulnerability, truth sharing, and the unshakable bravery to be yourself. You're giving yourself permission to recognize that you are completely beautiful and enough as you are. Hey everyone. Hi everyone. Hope you're all doing well. I know that I'm doing better than I was a few days ago post my second vaccine, which I was really dreading getting because of what everyone is saying that, you know, the second one is the one that has the stronger side effects and everything and symptoms and that that was true for me, but it was only 24 hour period. So, you know, not so bad. It was pretty intense when it was happening. But at the end of the day, I feel pretty emotional and deeply, deeply grateful to what I what I feel, you know, could possibly be like a modern miracle, this vaccine. I and mean, this is coming from me, who's someone who doesn't even take an Advil in a year. I don't take anything. I take absolutely nothing. And I'm very holistic in my health. But somehow, I, I just feel grateful feeling about this and and wondering when are we going to know who these heroes are who created this vaccine i'd really like to be celebrating them and giving them the the credit that they're that they're due um i'm also feeling like getting the second vaccine being sort of this moment of stepping into a new future and it's one that i pray every single solitary day and have since the pandemic started will be the beginning of a new paradigm of a greater wholeness within each person and therefore a greater more connected and loving and sustainable society and I know that for myself I have felt committed to my own wholeness in this last year so that I can step forward into this new world and feel like I'm contributing in the best way and the biggest way that I possibly can that I can be the biggest person that I am meant to be and to really face the things that have prevented me from being as big as I can be which you know, have a lot actually to do with the things that our new subject, Olu, talks about. And and a lot of his story is about putting himself first, having grown up in a very religious family where everything was about, you know, the tribe or the group and his conflicts with music and being, you know, his burgeoning career as a rapper and being nominated for, you know, a Grammy and, and this increasing life of being performing and out in the front and traveling and you know, very much away from the group and his conflicts with that. These are a lot of the same things that I have had to face in my life coming from a family where I never really felt like I could be my whole self. And I've come to terms a lot in this last year with really getting in touch with the fear of leaving that family behind if I have to, in order for me to be a whole person. What I've really, really realized is how deep my love is, how 
I, I always had to fight a lot because I couldn't be repressed. I couldn't be suppressed. And I've become so much more free inside, recognizing that this is all coming from such a deep place of love and that I really am so generous and so loving towards them and so understanding and forgiving of them. But that is a separate from me putting myself first and moving to a place that's right for me. I feel like the pandemic has really taught me that. First and foremost, all of the tests and all of the lessons and all of the shadows that I've had to face this year are all around how I have this enormous spirit, have had this enormous spirit from birth. And that spirit was too much for the family that I was born into. I've really come to terms with that the most loving act that I can do is to honor my spirit, even if it's painful for them and painful for me. It's definitely painful for the child inside of me that it is the best thing for, for myself, for my family, for my friends, for my community, and ultimately for the world because I feel very much like Style Like You is my calling. And for me to be the absolute best leader and guide in delivering this most beautiful, incredible message to the world and creating a much larger, larger impact in the world that I have to be my absolute most free, whole, self-loving and loving to others self. Olu is, his story is very immersed in that conflict. His conflict is all around as he chases his dreams, as he manifests his goals and expresses his creativity, like. What is the line between putting himself first and putting others first? And he wants to be the kind of person that's there for other people and that's reliable and that's dependable. And like his, his dad was that way. And, you know, he wants to be that kind of man. But he also is really struggling with this intuition that he needs to put himself first in order to ultimately be able to serve others more because he'll be taken care of. And the more that he puts himself first, the more capacity he ha- will have for others. And he's really struggling with that conflict. But it's something that I think we all can relate to. I know I can relate to it a lot, being a recovering people pleaser and just that conflict of knowing that if you have a boundary or if you have a need that expressing it even if it's uncomfortable even if it makes someone else uncomfortable ultimately you expressing your own needs and putting yourself first is usually what's best for the whole of a situation he also distinguishes that there's a difference between sort of like selfishly putting yourself first and putting yourself first with the the intention of the ultimate greatest good for everyone involved in a situation or for the world that putting yourself first just is is a way to kind of make sure that you're always as filled up as you can be and replenished so that you have something to give to others and that you, yeah, and that sometimes that's a path where there's some misunderstanding involved and that you might not be liked along the way, but that can create the most good for everyone involved. I think we're talking about consciousness. Yeah. There's a conscious place and there's an unconscious place. That's not, you know, what Olu's talking about or um, what I feel I've discovered in the last year that actually when you're coming from a conscious place and, and a whole place and from a place of awareness, all of your interactions become more fulfilling and softer and more generous and more accepting and more forgiving. And I think that's a very important distinction to make as we move forward into what I believe is a new paradigm. And I believe Olu is expressing this exact moment of, you know, moving forward into this new paradigm of putting yourself first from a place of knowing that you are whole, knowing the bigness of your spirit, and knowing that you are letting no one down by living your purpose and your spirit. That would be impossible. 
I feel we're really moving into a time, you know, that's so exciting because we can't betray ourselves and be healthy people. I feel, you know, we're, we're unlimited, that our spirit is unlimited and our spirit is infinite. And, and we're here to do something important um, and we can't, we can't be stopped. Olu's message is he's very sort of hypnotic, I think, in his serene sense of knowing that he's moving into what he's supposed to be doing, even though there's a lot of conflict, which is, you know, what we all need to do now. We hope you enjoy this episode, and we'll be back in two weeks, two Thursdays from now with the next episode. We'll be back to every week shortly, but for the month of April, we have a lot going on, so we're doing every other week right now. Hope you get a lot out of this topic, which, as you can tell, we're pretty obsessed with and think about a lot and grapple with a lot we will go on and on in many different ways we have surprises coming down the road so that we can all connect more to each other that's something that's very much on our minds always has been but i feel is actually coming to fruition in the near future hope you enjoy this episode love to you all can you start by talking about how you're feeling right now you know i've kind of gone like going underground or into the underworld like for the winter time you know and it's another changing moment. I think I'm dealing with the grief of losing a part of myself or birthing a part of myself that some people aren't necessarily ready for. I'm very uh, inward focused during these times, which is weird because we're releasing music and promoting and getting ready to perform in front of thousands of people, you know, so it's like I have to step outside after a while, but I get to go back in. So it's a little difficult, but um, it's life, you know. I feel like maybe I'll, there'll be some things that come out of me during these shows that, I've, that I haven't been able to express during the year because performance, I mean, it, it's as much as a, a thing for us as it is for the people who come to the show, you know, like these words that we say were a part of our lives at a time, but like we have to re- recite these things over and over. And, and in order to make it a good show, we have to actually tap into these feelings that we may have grown past and that we have to like go back into this person, this person that I don't necessarily want to be anymore, this person I have grown from and like, you know, continue to pull those things out. The deeper and deeper we go back into it, the more emotional it can be, you know, it's kind of like, an old wound that you just never let heal. Can you talk a little bit about what your style says about you? First and foremost, it says I do what I want, you know, like the decisions that I make, I, I want to show up in, these, in this way how I would like to be. You know, um, when I was coming up, when I was young, I had to wear a uniform most of the time. I grew up in a Pan-African Christian church from the age of like newborn to probably like 12, 13. I shared everything with, with children of my age whose parents worked full-time for the church. Um, and we had uniform. It was what we wore, so I really didn't have that many belongings. Um, I had maybe my book bag, a few pair of shoes, everything else was, I had five pair of pants, six pair of shirts, you know, and they would be washed, taken care of, and like, this is what I wore. and. Um, you know, it was real different going to school, and like, I was picked on a lot as a child. Um, whether it's for my uniform, whether it's for my name, Olu, which is an African name. You know, being the only child, you know, a lot of people 
that I grew up with that picked on me then were kind of like jealous of me a little bit. My father was around, even though like he, he showed love to them as well, like in the community, but it was just like, you, you have everything, you know, and I'm looking back on it now as an adult because children can be very mean, but those are people who treat me, they, we're family now, you know, like those kids are like my brothers and sisters. So it's like, I understand it, you know, but it's like, you know, sometimes you just, you, you just go through that as a, as a child. You feel like, um, I guess his name is Jacob with the, with the coat, Technicolor coat. His brother showed him away, like, we want your stuff. We'll, we'll sell you away to, you know, Egypt. And so, like, sometimes I, I just feel that way because I, throughout what I've gone through, I still carry an element of poise and regality wherever I go. Where did you get this sense of self and self-possession when it comes to your style, do you think? My bloodline. My father, my mother, my grandmother, my grandfather, like, these were people who were pillars in the community. You know, my grandmother has um, a rec center named after her in Southeast Atlanta. It's Rose F. Fan Rec Center now. And, um, you know, she was a pillar in the Atlanta community as well as, like, her phone line was always busy up until the day she retired at, like, 80-something because people would call her about, you know, so-and-so wants to run for office, so-and-so wants to run for city council, so-and-so wants to do this, like, can we, have your endorsement, can, we, can you come by, and like, what do you think on this, what do you think on that? Her lines just always stay busy. And you could just see like how much this person means to the community. Like, this is a part of me, this is in my blood. And same with my father, like, it, like if any, anything important, people would ask him about it, you know? People would ask him like, what do we want to do? And a lot of times, his opinion wasn't the one that they wanted, but you know, it might have been the one that was right at the moment. So it's like, I have to learn how to like, be okay with that, you know? I know people think of like royalty as like, people who are spoiled and things like that. But like a good king, a good queen, a good ruler, a good head, a good leader is a responsible one before they're anything else, you know? So I think to me, that's the most important thing and everything else comes from there. When I went to high school, I didn't have to wear a uniform anymore, so I would just like play around with style. And when I went to college, and like I was kind of introduced to like thrift store shopping because that was a big thing at, at the college that I went to, Hampton. And you know, that's that's a, a private school, a private HBCU, historically African American university. And I never, I never was around black people with wealth like that. Growing up in Atlanta, I was always around black people, but I went to public school and black public schools. But this was a black private school. This is people, I was like, you know, what, what you mean your granddaddy got money? Like, like, what you mean that's your Beamer over there? Like, you 18 years old, you know? Like, I, I was brand new to that. So the only way that I could keep up with their style and they had all these nice clothes, very preppy and all these things, it's like, okay, I gotta go to the thrift store. I gotta find things that look nice. I gotta find suits that are almost in my size and I gotta get them tailored. I never went to a tailor before, you know? And I, I gotta spend money on ties and things like this so I, so I can, you know, just look the part, look, just fit in, you know? And I think coming outside of that more and more, even when we started performing more and more, it was like, okay, now this is my opportunity to do what I wanna do. I don't have to fit in anymore. You know, I don't, I don't have to fit in to be cool. I don't have to fit in to be accepted because I've placed myself in a space where I'm in an agency of what I look like and, and how I want to do what I want to do. Like, 
I could wear what I want to wear. And a lot of times, since I grew up in a very religious household, not like sternly, not, not like shameful, but you, you think that poverty is next to piety, you know? Like, people who don't want things are holy, and people who have a lot of things did bad things to get them. You know, you taught that a lot of times, especially being, being black, being African-American, and having a relationship with a higher power. It's the balance there is um, something that I am reckoning with, not just for myself, but like for my family. It's like, man, I'm tired of struggling. Like, you don't have to struggle just to be closer to God. Like, it's not how it works. Life, life is gonna have you struggle regardless. Regardless of if you're a billionaire or not, life will put struggle in your life. Don't worry about that, you know what I'm saying? Like, you deserve to be happy. You deserve to have the things that you want while you're here because it's not going to be easy. We, we, we are taught um, so much about the suffering that leads to like salvation that it's, it's, it's been a disease, it's, it's making a disease around everything, you know? Like, the people who have the most don't think that they could ever have a relationship with the higher power because they have the most. And the people who have the least are like, you know, well, I'll, I'll take, you take everything else. And as long as I have my God, I'll be fine. And that's an imbalance, you know, like, it, what, what if the most rich people in the world were the most benevolent also? You know, not just to get away with taxes, but like to actually improve the world. Like, what if? Why is that impossible, you know? But I think that it's become impossible because we have been told in order to be a good person, you have to suffer. In order to be a bad person, you have to win. You have to have the most. You have to, you know, like, I think that's what we've been taught so much. And, you know, it's kind of created an imbalance, not only with ourselves, but like an imbalance with the relationship with us and the earth. You know, how we use things, how we give back to things or, the give and take that we all experience with, with the planet that we live in and the resources that we have. You know, it's all about take, take, take. Can you talk a little bit about the assumptions you think people make about you based on how you look? I wanna say it was a major thing before. Well, a lot of people thought I was gay, you know? Um, not like, is it like, not like a, a huge thing, but I think a lot of, a lot of men and a lot of African-American men have been, because we've just been so conditioned to what manhood is in this society, which is a white male patriarchal, patriarchal rule society, it's very disconnected from an African male and very disconnected from who we are and our actual spirit as males. So they see it, and it's like, you know, this doesn't look like a man to me because what I've been taught as a man has, over here is one thing. And to see somebody wear these things or to live so freely and to live so unapologetically is not manly, you know? So like, you're weird, like you're wild and is that a dress or, I mean, me growing up in a Pan-African like environment, like I saw all types of depictions of, of black men, you know, not just a black man in a suit 
or not just a black man in baggy jeans or a black man with a jersey on or, you know what I'm saying? Like, I saw a black man dressed in like, you know what I'm saying, like Muslim wear, or like the Moors or, you know what I'm saying, black men in like in West Africa who have like wraps around their shoulders and wraps around their waist with gold everywhere, you know, and like, and you see these things and you, you realize that there's a spectrum of how you want to express yourself. It's not just, this is what we do, this is how it's done, and if you're not doing this, then you're wrong, you know? And I, I think I, with my style, I always like to keep that spectrum somewhere, somewhere in there, whether it's with color, whether it's with, um, you know, length of clothes, the type of clothes, or no clothes at all, stuff like that. I think that's, that's like the most important thing to me. Can you talk a little bit about the no clothes at all? I guess when I got about like uh, 25, 26, I had just a, a moment of like, you just have to get in touch with your body. Like, you know, you, you spend so much time not not really knowing who you are and just going throughout life trying to be what people want you to be. And I guess during that time, I would just walk around naked. Like I spend most of my time naked in my house. Like if I'm not, if I'm by myself, like as, as a kid, I would always have my shirt off. Like not to like flex or do, but I just, it just, I just felt free, you know? Like it's, I'm a child, like I'm running, running around. I have no responsibilities right now. I can do whatever I want. And then like the older I got, responsibilities came up and uniform and you, you, you need to go get a job, so put this suit on or, you know, all, all those types of things. And like once you get out of college and you're like, okay, this is my life. How do I want to define it? Like how do I want to see myself? And I would just spend time just like being naked, like walking around. and and being comfortable with it, you know? At first it was a little weird, but now it's like, it makes me smile, you know? It's like, this is me, like, this is who I am. There's no change in that. What's been your biggest struggle? Embracing my individuality. It's funny, because I'm an only child, and my natural instinct is to do what I want to do. That's my first natural instinct. And then how I was raised is, you think about the group before you think about yourself. So my biggest challenge is like merging that, you know, finding a balance in between that, finding a balance in between leading the life how I want to live it and not answering to anybody but myself, but also having relationships where I'm, it's mutually beneficial, where I'm not always thinking about myself, I'm thinking about other people, you know, and putting other people ahead of me, you know, because, Another part of me is, is I'm, a, I'm a helper. Um, I, acts of service is one of my love languages, so just being able to be there for somebody or listening to somebody and, you know, being reliable, you know what I'm saying? Having people depend on you, being there for somebody is one thing, and a lot of times when you help people, you put them to the front. They, they get everything first, you know? Some, a lot of times I'll let eat, people eat before me or I'll let people do these things before me, do that before me. And it's like, cool, it's not important because I know I'll be fine. But it's like, you know, sometimes you have to seize things for yourself. You have to seize moments for yourself. And like, 
it's okay to be selfish at times, you know? And I'm really struggling with that because it's not easy. For example, doing this, um, I'm a part of a duo. And doing this um, without him, sometimes it makes me feel, am I doing the right thing? I guess that would be the question, you know? It's not easy doing that and thinking about, you know, other type of relationships, like relationship with women, um, relationships with, with my job and like how sometimes I have to think about my job before I have to think about going on vacation or going on dates and things like that, you know? So it's like, do I put myself first or do I put other people first? And a lot of times when I put myself first, I get a lot of rejection, you know? It's like, you can't do that. Not even just from the group, but it's just boundaries, just certain things. Um, restrictions, you know what I'm saying? Rules, like you can't do that this way or this, you need to take care of this before you go on vacation. You need to do this, you know, my mama needs me here. And just anything, you know? And, but I've been, you know, this, this year, I've been able to kind of like learn and grow from that. This year has been, a lot of people around me have started to acquiesce. Like, okay, this is who you are. You know, like even though you are a part of a group in your musical career, even though you are an only child, your mother needs you, even though you are low key, like one of the bright spots of your family, everybody looks up to you, even though we, we love you and we need you, we have to give you your space to be yourself and to do what you want to do because that ultimately allows you to open up more doors for more people. And it ultimately allows you to continue to discover more about yourself so you can be better. And it benefits everybody else in the long run. There's another African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Also true, you know, but um, I think Groups are made stronger by people who know themselves and put themselves first and then bring that back into the group. I'm a leader, like it's natural, you know, but I lead from the background and I lead by bringing other people together type thing. It's not like I lead by like, it's not like a follow me type of leading. It's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a reference point type of leader, you know, but I've learned that the older I've gotten, the more I need to start embracing that. And that's like a very difficult thing for me. Harmony is most important to me. And it's not a lot of harmony when you, you, you are a leader. You know, a lot of people dislike the actions that you say, the actions that you do. A lot of people dislike your ideas. A lot of people, you know what I'm saying, dislike your decisions. You know, but you gotta have like so. That's the answer. It has to be so. You know, if you truly feel like you're doing the right thing, if you truly have considered each thing, and this is the decision that you're gonna make, it's just like so. Like you just you just gonna not like me for a while, and that's fine. You know, and that's that's something else that I've been learning this year. It's like you know, it's a, you can't please everybody. You know, and that's and that's okay. It's all right to not to not have to please everybody. Two of my favorite players, LeBron James and, and Michael Jordan, and like, I mean, people were so mad at LeBron when he decided to leave Akron and I mean, leave Cleveland and go to Miami and like start and, and play there, and like they just 
they were so mad at him, they said, like, we, we, like, this, we disowned you, kind of, sort of, you know? And it's like, this is the decision that he had to make in order to bring more notoriety to himself, what he's doing, and what he's trying to accomplish. Then he went back to Cleveland, won multiple championships, started a school there, you know what I'm saying? A whole school for disenfranchised kids that came from where he came from, you know? And it's like, people love the end result, but they hated the, the route and the actions that he took and stuff. So it's like, you know, you can't like, you can't let people deter you away, you know? You just have to believe in it and just go do it. And what was the relationship between um, your father passing and like, this whole journey to putting yourself first. Was there a relationship between the two? So there's like this quote that I heard probably months before he passed where it was like, um, it was on the show Billions and it was like a man never becomes, true, never truly becomes a man until his father passes. So um, to me, that moment was, it was like the, this, 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 that ceiling is gone. You know, that reference point to where it's like, let me always check and see if this is the right thing. Or if I mess up, I know I can fall back on my pop, so I know he'll be there for me type of thing. So it's like, now you gotta just jump and fly. You know, like there's, there's no safety net. And like everything that you want, you have to get it by yourself and you have to believe in yourself enough to do it and also be willing to live with the mistakes. Were you close with him? Oh yeah, that was my man's. We were super close. You know, it's, it, it came kind of rapidly because he had health issues and it happened so fast to where he was just like snatched away. I think in those moments of his passing, which was like in July, and we went right on the road like two weeks after the funeral for like two months. Um, it just gave me the time to kind of be alone, you know, even though I'm on tour with busloads of people, you know, three and four busloads of people. It's an arena tour with J. Cole, and like I'm traveling the world, traveling the country, seeing thousands of people performing in front of thousands of people every night and stuff. And like, but it was still a moment of like aloneness to where I was able to just. Get, in more, get more in touch with myself and realize that, you know, like, I, I'm the only person who's gonna make this happen. Yeah, bro, it sucks, but you gotta go on the road two weeks after the funeral, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, I understand it, but you can't say no. You can't, like, that's not an option. You can't say no, I'm gonna stay home. And, and you can't be there for your mama if you're not there for yourself, you know, and it's like, that was the moment for real where I was like, you know, I have to kind of, I mean, it, it's cool. Like, it's like the training wheels come off, you know? Like I get to fly now, I'm, I'm riding as fast as I can. Like I can fall, I'm gonna scrape up, scrape myself up, but it's like, I'm out, you know? Like, and, and I know he's always here, he's always with me, but it's like, you know, let's go, let's get it, you know? And I think that that, that was one of those moments where I just became so self-reliant, and um, yeah, that was that was that was one of the things to help me like be the person that I am now. Yeah. And was that a hard decision to have to say to your mom, like, um, "I'm sorry, I, I gotta go"? 
No, uh, she kind of understood. I think we both needed to not be in Atlanta during the time because she went to South Africa like she before I left. So before, like maybe like a week after the funeral, she went to South Africa with her sister and was there for a few. She was there. She stayed there. So I left while she was there. So I think we both kind of needed to like get away, you know, so. It wasn't really that difficult of a decision. Um, I think, looking back on it, I think the people around me were kind of amazed. They didn't, really, they didn't really talk about it, you know? They was just like, they know that I'm a hard worker. Like, the people I work with, they know that I'm a hard worker. But I think, like, like years later, they'll meet, they'll speak on it. It's like, bro, I don't know how you did it, bro. Like, I don't know how you... Like, you got stronger, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I think a lot of people don't deal with death that way you know and and I'm I'm really blessed because I had the opportunity to I'm, I've always had like a spiritual connection you know and to like many people just don't have that with death it's like a whole black world that people cannot come to grips with not to say that it's easy but you know, but it's like, it's just unbearable, you know, for a lot of people, it's just unbearable. And I think with me, it just became a part of life, you know, it's just, it's just a part of my life now, you know, rather than just an ending, you know, it's just a new beginning, just a different type of beginning. So it's like, you know, that, that really showed me that I, I, can, I, I can become stronger after things like this, you know. I can be better, I can be wiser, I can be more dependable. Um, so that was a beautiful thing. It was, um, I was going through a bad breakup then, you know, like all during, during that time. So it was just, it's my first time dealing with like passing of a parent. Like it's not the same as like the passing of a friend or a grandparent, you know what I'm saying? Like this is my father, this is, the epitome to me of what it is to be a man, you know? Like, this is the shining example. Not to say that he's perfect, but this is, this is the thing, and it's wiped away. So it's like, I have to create this in my image now, and I need that time and that space to do it. So I can't have all of these outside influences on who I should be or how, how I should be. You know, I had to take that time for myself to kind of create who I am now. So when you say that your father is the epitome of a man, can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that exactly? What is, what is that quality? Yeah, he was just, um, he was just reliable. Like anything, if you needed something, he was there. If you had a flat, not just me, I mean, like, people who I grew up with, friends, family friends, these people, those people. Like, he was, like, father to, like, everybody, like, all of my friends, you know? Like, they got a flat, he's there. They need to be picked up from somewhere, he's there. Like, he, meanwhile, he got a whole job. He got a whole sermon he got to write for the church. You know, sometimes he preached, and he might be singing that same Sunday, you know what I'm saying? He might be singing in the choir and then go preach but he still was there wherever you needed him. You know, he was a mechanic also. 
So if you got car problems, you know what I'm saying, he might take a look at your car after service or something. So it's just being, being reliable and being there for people. Um, that's, that's what it was, you know, like, and I never saw him like have overtly displays of romanticism and show up with flowers and all of those things, which are beautiful things. But I think his, the way he loved was by just being there for people. Pe people knew that they can count on him, you know what I'm saying? And, and for counseling and for actual physical things, you know, like, and I think that, um, to me, it, you, you only get that way by being secure in yourself first. You know, like you can't be there for people if you're not there for yourself. Like, and I think even though he struggled with that, you know, he struggled with having time for himself, he knew who he was. And he, he was very affirmative about himself. Like even past, he had, he had a um, stroke. So he had like congestive heart failure. So even throughout those years of congestive heart failure, I think it was about eight years where he had his accident, stroke, and congestive heart failure for eight years. So even through those eight years, like he was still there for people, you know, like up until the very last moment. So it's um, it just showed me that if I want to be the person who I want to be, if I want to be that type of man that I need to be secure for myself first and foremost, you know? And a lot of times the only way to be secure for yourself is to put yourself first and do the things that you need to do for yourself without waiting on other people. You know, like, I'll be back, I'm gonna take care of this, I'm gonna get myself straight and then I'll come back to help you. And sometimes that's what it is, like, I can't let my destiny fall into the hands of anybody else. Hi everyone, we hope you're enjoying this episode so far. We wanted to take a quick moment to remind you that if you're moved by what you're hearing, you can watch the video version of this interview by subscribing to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash That's youtube.com slash S-T-Y-L-E-L-I-K-E-U. Now back to the episode. What has been maybe one of your biggest insecurities? I guess my height. I never really like, it never was a thing growing up because everybody's not that tall but right now I'm just like everybody's so damn tall so I'm like and also like tall people are treated differently because they're huge you know what I'm saying they're huge people listen to tall people when they come in people acknowledge them people allow them to speak people allow them to take up space because they do it anyway you know so like with my height and when I walk into places and like I just I just have to um just build up their energy and build up their strength inside to where I don't have to um, overcompensate, you know, to, to feel like I have to do these things in order for people to pay attention to me or I have to look a certain way in order for people to respect me. I mean, me being a small person, it's like um, sometimes you're overlooked, sometimes you are, you know, it, it, just, it just is people don't notice you unless you wear things for people to see or unless you um, do things like, you know, make music or uh, be able to hold, hold like certain conversations and stuff like that. So it's like, um, I just always find it, 
funny the uh, the influence that I have on people because I'm not a super extroverted person, you know. Only time I'm like out there is like if I'm competing, like if I'm for anything like sports or like that's when like it, it shows through that I just don't like losing, you know. So uh, other than that, like I'm just chilling. I'm I'm real cool. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm having fun, I'm enjoying myself. I don't need to be the center of attention. I don't need to be the life of the party. You know, it's really weird being the center of attention at times, you know, like, because I was taught that it's not about you. It should never be about you, it's about everybody, you know? And um, just, just having a career in an attention-based space where the more attention you have, the more resources come your way, the more opportunities come your way, the more abundance you have, the more eyes that are on you. Um, is that's another thing that I'm grieving. So is what you're saying that you kind of struggle with being a rock star? Yeah, I do. Like I, I, I honestly do struggle with it because it's like, like who'd have thought? You know what I'm saying? Like Lou, me from West End, Atlanta, like who? didn't listen to rap until he turned nine, 10 years old, who, you know what I'm saying, who never even thought of having a career in music until he was 18, who never sung for real, for real, until he was like 23. Like, who'd have thought about it? That I, I'm nominated for best R&B song this year for a Grammy. And it's, it's difficult because, you know, I'm, I'm like a real purist. You know, and like I said, some some of these things aren't important to me. Like a thirty-room mansion is not important to me. But if I could fill this thirty-room mansion with people who I know are are just monsters at their job of helping humanity, and we're all working together and we're doing a great thing, sign me up. But like a thirty million, a thirty-room mansion for me and my five children—that's ridiculous. You know, that's foolish. I would never want anything like that. But to me, it's all about what I can do with, with what I have. You know, who I can change, who I can affect with what I have. And honestly, I think my mom just realized the magnitude of what I'm doing, maybe like this year, maybe last year, because I invited her to the Soul Train Awards. You know, and she, oh my God, it's just so much fun. She had a time of her life and I flew out to Vegas and. She got to walk the carpet with us and everything, see us perform. But um, like this year, we've been doing so much with like just being in Atlanta. We've done so many things with Stacey Abrams, so many things with Mayor Lance Bottoms, so many things with getting people to vote. Um, just just things in the community. And she's just like, wow, like you really like doing a lot. This isn't just about being a rock star, you know what I'm saying? She was always like, oh, you're gonna do music. You're gonna go out there and do drugs and be a womanizer. That's all she thought this was about, you know, and I think she's actually seeing all of these other things, all these other seeds start to grow. What's your biggest fear? Not having a nice family environment like I would like to have for my kids. I think about raising my children in different places a lot just because of the way people of color and poor people are treated here. Um, and, and poor people, I say poor people because I don't, I'm not gonna raise my children in, in poverty, but you tell a lot about a country by the way they treat their poor and their old. Like, I mean, you, if you don't care about them, like it says you don't care about anybody. You know, you don't care about the people who can't help themselves. Like you don't care about anything. So 
you know, it's, it's very morally bankrupt society at times, you know, with so many things. With You can see it with right now what's going on with the pandemic. People are losing their jobs. They don't have any stimulus. They can't work. They, it's just so many reasons. Like, why, why can't we fix this? You know, like, is, is this not the priority? Are your citizens' quality of life not the priority? You know, so um, that, that, that's weighing on me a lot. And just how people of color, how their cultures have been demonized and been pushed to the side. So people who don't have that type of awareness are basically lost. You know, and it's hard to be as effective as you came to this earth to be if you don't know anything about your culture. I think I want to move to Africa somewhere. I've been to a few countries, um, not to say that Africa is like a perfect dream place, but it, it's different growing up where everybody looks like you. I mean, that's how I was in Atlanta. The only thing was like, I grew up in a place that kind of poured into me culturally also. Even though there was different like types of cultures in Atlanta, you know, you got, everybody didn't grow up like me, but it's like, bro, everybody I see is black. I didn't know one white person by first name basis until I went to college. You know, like everybody I knew was black. And it just instilled a certain type of um, self-love, you know? And, but it, but it, it did make it difficult when I started venturing into other spaces with musically, you know, where I'm like the only black person here. It's just like, I'll, I'll probably just be quiet and watch y'all, you know what I'm saying? Like rather than just like jump into the conversations or, you know, do these things. So I, I don't want my children to be so sheltered, but I do want them to have experiences that are not, chosen by forces outside of them. When was the last time you cried? Hmm. What's today? Monday? Friday. Um, I was writing. I was writing a record. And um, just had, a, had an issue at work um, where I got work with friends. It's not easy. You know, the lines are blurred. And these friends to me are family, so it's not easy. And um, I just had one of those moments where I felt kind of alone or kind of felt kind of misunderstood. And, you know, it just came upon me, you know, as, as I'm writing, as I'm, you know, thinking of a whole other different thing, writing a song, and it just came upon me as I'm reciting the song, as I'm, it's a very uplifting song, it's a very arrogant song which is ironic, you know, that I'm crying while writing this song, you know, and, um, and it kind of hit me that like, like this, this is kind of what you need in order to balance these moments out. Um, the funny thing about it, I cry a lot in my sleep. <laughs> I don't know if that's normal. I don't know if people cry in their sleep, but I cry in my sleep. I, like in my dreams, I'm literally like crying, like I'll wake up. Like, like wiping and just being like, damn, I had a good little cry in that dream. I won't call it gospel music, but I'll just hear voices, like acapella voices, like people singing together, and then I'll just be like crying. And it's like, I'm thankful for it, I really am, because it usually happens when, when I haven't cried in a while. When do you feel the most beautiful? Naked. 
right when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> I don't know, it's something about like waking up in the morning. Like I, like I said, I wake up without an alarm clock. It's just like I'll get another chance, you know? So I think I'm really like thankful. I have anxiety in the mornings a lot sometimes too, but most of the time it's just like, yeah. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. What's your wildest dream? To be able to freely travel and be fully embraced by the cultures that I encounter and to able to benefit them by being my natural self, to learn from them, and to have my family be accepted and welcomed wherever I go. America just, it feels like home, feel like a battered home, you know? Maybe not, not welcoming, because I know if I go back to Atlanta, I will feel welcomed, you know? I know that there are certain places in LA, certain places in New York where I can feel welcomed. But I mean, like a return. I, mean, it's, it's, I can't speak for everybody else, but I know for me, growing up as a black person in America, it does not feel like this is my home. You know, it feels like this is where I am. It's cool, it'll do. But I don't have that rooted feeling of like, this is my place on earth. I feel like we never really get a chance to really experience how beautiful this earth is. You know, a lot of people go into the grave, only visiting a few cities, you know, a few different types of landscapes. You know. I'm a firm believer that being in different places activates different things in your body. It allows you to experience life in different ways. I think that it's beautiful when they fully embrace you. That's really the key thing, you know, being embraced by humanity, you know, wherever you go. It's really humbling and really beautiful at the same time. Why in your body, in your skin, in your journey, why is that a good place to be? Because there's no other copy, you know, like, this is handmade custom for a specific purpose that I agreed to before I got here. And um, if I was anybody else, I wouldn't be able to do it like this, you know? It wouldn't, it wouldn't work. So uh, I appreciate the uniqueness. It's just something that I feel like this is, this is what I've been given and I should treat it as, um, you know, just that, a gift. We hope you were inspired by this episode. Until next week, that's it from me, Elisa. And me, Lily. If you were touched by this story, please take a moment to share the episode with any friends or family who could benefit from understanding that they are enough as they are. And if you agree that facades separate us and being radically honest brings us together, please help spread the movement for radical self-acceptance by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. Each month, we'll send a free copy of our book, True Style is What's Underneath, The Self-Acceptance Revolution, to one of our podcast reviewers. We can't skip ahead to a happy ending or live inside a photoshopped image or an Instagram filter. There is no finding oneself when glossing over the truth.